Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This is the TRT Community Podcast, where we discuss all things testosterone. I'm Brandon, founder of the TRT Community and host of All Things Testosterone. The TRT Community is a Facebook group of patients helping patients navigate the struggles associated with testosterone replacement therapy. We have educational resources at testosteronepodcast.com, including TRT-related clinical studies and a doctor search tool. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Man, this is my first full day as a full-time podcaster. I have resigned from my position, as I talked about on our last episode, uh, and I am I'm podcasting full time. Um, I just just recorded this intro and had to go back and redo it because I'm using this video switcher over here and and switching back and forth between a decent camera and my computer screen for this interview. So you can see me with a decent camera, decent quality, and then the computer, the Zoom call. Uh, today I'm talking with Sean Fitzgerald, head specialist over at Matrix Hormones. We're going to talk about some TRT related topics. Uh, I don't know what all we're going to get into. Going to be shooting from the hip on some of it. Um, today kind of got away from me. Uh, I, my wife started a, a part-time position at our church um, two days ago, three days ago, two days ago. So I've been pulling double duty, um, took the kids to school this morning, had to pick them up from school this afternoon, uh, went through about 60 emails, TRT-related stuff, edited about two hours worth of audio, two hours worth of video separately, Um yeah, I, I, I've got a bunch of emails left to go through. Um, I was able to schedule six podcast episodes for next week. Somehow I scheduled like five of the six of them in the same day. Um, I've started using like a self-scheduling link, so I send that out and then they, they schedule their own. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough day. I'm ex- still excited about it, but um, it's been tough. So let's just get straight into the conversation with Sean. What's up, buddy? Hey, Brandon. How are you, man? Doing all right. How are you? Yeah. Uh, not too bad. I just got off of work. So, because uh, the change time a little bit. So, instead of being stuck in the office after hours, I just came home. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great, though, getting off of work in, uh, in the TRT related field? Don't you just love it? Uh, um, you know, I actually, I normally stay late, to be honest. <laughs> I'm usually the last person in the office. Yeah. Um, just catching up with stuff, emails, messages, and also check on everybody before leaving. But, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So today was my first, and I, and I just talked about this in my intro, my first full day as a full-time podcaster. And it, oh, 
Yeah, it kicked my ass <laughs> today. Today was rough. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, oh wow. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I don't know what the difference was. You know, usually I'm doing this part time and I'm able to to knock things out, but today. I don't know. I got about 60 emails, got through about half of them. I scheduled six podcast episodes, uh, interviews for next week. Somehow I scheduled like five of the six, uh, five of the six in the same day. So next Thursday is going to be pretty rough. Um, had to take, <laughs> oh my God. had to take the kids to school, had to pick the kids up from school. Cause my wife just started a job two days ago. So yeah, it, the first day, first day in, and it's been kind of a beating. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess, uh, <laughs> well, busy, uh, is a good thing, I guess, start, you know, kind of doing your own business. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still got, gosh, I don't even know what I'm going to be done. I still need to get on the forum and, and check out what's going on there and finish these emails, but let's get into these TRT related questions. Sure. I talked a little bit on a, a previous episode about identifying the signs of low T and, so many guys get labs done with a local doctor and then they're told that they're within normal limits. Do you have any advice for the guy that's told that should they request copies of their labs and go elsewhere or assume that their, their, their symptoms are unrelated to TRT and just not seek treatment or even are there certain symptoms that are more indicative of, of low T than maybe others are? Um, you know, it's, it is uh, a loaded question in a way because, um, example, um, hypothyroidism mimics a lot of the symptoms that, um, someone might have of low testosterone. Um, and sometimes they're related. So sometimes you can actually have hypothyroidism, which can lead to hypogonadism. So, um, you know, generally, um, doctors will, will, you know, based on symptoms of fatigue, um, you know, maybe libido because thyroid actually does play a role in libido as well. Um, but the general fatigue, um, you know, is most common or brain fog, you know, that can be related to thyroid and doctors usually will check, uh, thyroid, you know, the most basic, they normally will check like a GP will typically check just TSH and T4. Sometimes they'll check total T4, which doesn't really tell you much. The free T4 is a little bit more indicative of the active T4 hormone, but it's still a pro-hormone, a precursor to T3, which is the active version of thyroid hormone. Um, but uh, due to uh, law, regulations and law, that any patient by law is entitled to copies of any test or any records, any medical records that a doctor may have of them, whether they're blood tests, whether they're notes on the patient, Anything that's related to the health of that patient, they have legal access to and can request it. Um, so it is the obligation on the doctor to be able to supply those copies upon request, but a lot of times that they're not freely given. So, um, you know, I would say for anybody, for their own record purposes and record keeping, to have their own file of uh, anything that they've had done with the doctor is to request copies. The original document is going to, like a hard copy, is going to be owned by the doctor, you know, his office or practice. Uh, but you can request copies. So sometimes I've actually had people misunderstand it and requesting um, that they're, they, wanna, they want their blood work. <clears throat> you know, and so it's a miscommunication with the nursing or the staff. They know you can't have it. Well, because the original record is owned by the doctor, they cannot have the original. 
but they can get a copy of anything. So, and that sometimes may be miscommunication or misunderstanding. Um, but otherwise, yes, I, I highly recommend anybody and everybody get copies of anything that you're doing with a doctor so that you have documentation, not only like for yourself, for your own purposes in case if you want to transfer. Now, doctors can transfer, but, you know, I, I would personally want to have everything for myself, my own records and documentation. I get plenty of guys that actually will document their own things and sometimes they'll send me um, um, like uh, like graphs of all their levels and where they've been fluctuating nice, in certain yeah. things. They do their own, you know, stuff like that. So some, some guys are very <clears throat> into keeping their own records um, and then some aren't and, and that's okay. Um, but uh, as far as, um, you know, getting your levels uh, tested and checked, um, you know, if you're on the lower end of the scale, then it's kind of like, you know, if you go to the gas station, you're always only putting $10 worth of gas in your car. Well, you're not going to get too far on only 10 gallons, 10 bucks worth of gas, but you can get from, you know, going to work and coming home, but then you're going to have to fill up again in a couple of days. So if you're on the lower end of the spectrum, but within range, then technically, yeah, you don't have to beat all the way at the top according to doctor standards. And they might be in range. You're like, oh, you're fine. But again, why do you keep going, you know, only putting $10 for the gas in the car? Why not just fill it up? And then you don't have to worry for a while. Yeah. You know, so you can go back and forth. And, you know, if you want to drive extra, you have the extra fuel to do so. And the same with the testosterone. When you need the extra energy and motivation to get you going, then you have it available. You know, it's kind of like having a truck or uh, a faster car you don't need necessarily the power right now but you have the power available to you should you need it yeah i think that's a great point and that's really the patient that i'm that i'm talking about the one that's three four five hundred maybe even and and the doctor says well you're within you know range we can't help you um yeah. and then touching back on the medical records thing so i know too that that they don't always make it super easy to get. I agree with you though. It, it's nice to have them. What I typically do is just request like six months worth at a time, uh, rather than mm-hmm. like each piece as it comes in, you know, and usually you have to do it in writing. Sometimes you have to pay a couple bucks for them to, to process and make copies of it. Uh, and these days, most things are in portals anyway, so you can download freely, but yeah, they don't always, it's not always like super readily available. So even if you have to go in there and, and send them an email requesting very specific things, you can definitely get them. Um, charging you for copies of your own medical records, you don't think they should, that, that's something common. I used to work in a hospital and I've never heard of anybody having to pay for medical. Really? So maybe yeah, that, maybe, not. maybe not an individual. No, you know what? So the reason I say that is because I've, I had a 10 year history managing disability claims and anytime uh-huh. we would request records on the patient's behalf, we would get billed for it. Um, and I did, there were some times where they billed the, the patient for those medical records. And usually it would be actually a hospital where they, they send them down to the basement, you know, and they've got some third party <laughs> service yeah. that goes in there once a week and they, uh, they collect okay. them. Yeah, and, the, and that it, might be why it's third-party service. And yeah, they may charge. For that. And it wasn't much, you know. Maybe you know, if, I'm talking. We'd request two years of records at once, and it may cost twenty-two dollars or something. So, you know, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, for a third party, I could see that being a third party doing that. Yeah. That's what they're hired for. They got to get paid somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I get this question a lot, 
And and the general question is, can I drink alcohol while I'm on TRT? Um, I want to ensure that our we're not biased, right? So completely unbiased. So I'll ask it this way. Um, if we're talking about three beers every single evening, will my body process that differently on TRT versus off TRT? No, no. Uh, testosterone is completely non-toxic to your own liver. It's bioidentical. So your body's not going to make something that is toxic to itself. <clears throat> now, there can be byproducts of metabolism or metabolic waste that is not meant to stay in your body very long. That can become toxic. Um, so certain hormones through metabolites, um, we do know that uh, some metabolites of estrogen are shown to be carcinogenic. Um, and that does depend on the health of the individual because the liver does process a lot of things. So the liver uh, is going to eventually break down certain hormones. Uh, to get excreted through um, bile and then through your uh, digestive intestinal tract and, you know, out through your uh, bowel movement. And um, if your liver is not functioning properly or if it's stressed out, um, it may not be able to metabolize hormones correctly or efficiently. Uh, and then also having enough fiber in the diet to actually move things along, you know, expedite things. I've had people that, you know, would have, you know, just a couple bowel movements a week. <laughs> you should be going every day. Um, so, but uh, itself, testosterone is not toxic liver. Now, of course, you know, alcohol is. Um, I don't condone, you know, alcohol use or, or, or consumption, but it's not going to change the way your body processes it um, whatsoever. So I do have some patients that admit that they do have a couple of drinks a day and that's okay. Um, that is going to change your health. Um, I have had guys that, uh, because of drinking, caused them to have high hemoglobin and hematocrit levels um, because of chronic inflammation that it causes and impairing liver health and so forth. Um, and uh, it may cause high blood pressure, uh, ED. And I have seen in cases when guys, even for the weekend, went out and drinking and partying, Next, you know, um, come Monday or Tuesday, they do blood work. Their estrogen levels shoot through the roof. <laughs> yeah. They're sometimes double what they normally are. So, um, and again, that has to do with the liver uh, properly metabolizing hormones. And if you overwhelm the liver, um, you know, with alcohol because it's toxic, it goes, you know, get toxic treated. The liver is not going to effectually, effectively, or efficiently metabolize the hormones and excrete them out of the body the way it should. So um, then the hormone just starts building up and building up. Yeah. So and for the for the um, sake yeah, of the, for the sake of the question, <clears throat> all all of that is the same on or off TRT, right? I mean, it doesn't. It's not. In fact, yeah, and, but I would argue yeah, maybe but, that um, that being on TRT, you know, if you're drinking, you, you may be lowering your your natural production, but if you're on TRT, you're not doing that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. You're replacing it. And um, having higher hormones, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, back to where, you know, if you're younger and you're youth, you do tend to recover quicker. So it may be able to offset or maybe help uh, lessen a hangover. Yeah, that makes sense. I, so, do, you, overall, do you get that you question? I, I, people I, I ask, do get it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I always think and it's a often. strange one, you know, like, why would it? Why would it make a difference on TRT, off TRT? What's happening? 
Well, it, it's, I guess, probably the concern because um, a lot of times in the media, uh, testosterone is um, thrown in the same category as anabolic steroids. And there's a lot of anabolic steroids that are known to be liver toxic. Um, so, but cl- clinically and chemically, if you look it up, that testosterone is not considered an anabolic steroid. All the other the anabolic steroids that have been invented are a modified form or version of the testosterone molecule. So, um, the only one that is made in minute quantities that can be considered semi bioidentical would be nandrolone or 19 nor testosterone, but I'm talking trace trace amounts. Yeah. So it's a very, very little, not even bother with worse measure. Cool. So this next one's pretty interesting. Um, this came from the forum and it's, I'm on TRT and I had a vasectomy, a vasectomy uh, a year ago. Ever since my orgasms are off the charts to the point where I get lightheaded and feel as though I'm going to pass out and they're worse when I'm standing. Anything to that? Um, yeah, I'd probably say you have sex laying down instead of standing. (laughs) (laughs) So he went, (laughs) he went on to say that, uh, you know, it gets to the point to where he has to like squat down, you know, get on his knees, put his head between his legs, kind of recuperate, you know, yeah, that might be a, a a blood pressure issue. I would have it checked just to be sure. Yeah, but possible that the testosterone, because it is known to help improve nitric oxide production by the endothelial tissue or lining of your blood vessels, therefore enhancing blood flow. So that may be part of the increase in libido. Is he may be able to achieve harder and more intense erections, therefore possibly orgasm. Um, and uh, but otherwise. As far as being lightheaded, it might be a similar effect as well to like if you're sitting for a while and you stand up too quick and you're a little bit woozy. Um, that may be a lag in the adrenal glands because your adrenal glands um, produce adrenaline hormone and some other stress hormones. One of the functions is to elevate your blood pressure from when you're sitting to standing so you don't get lightheaded from standing up so fast. Yeah. Now, if you do, and it happens often, then you may have some adrenal insufficiency because the adrenal glands are instantly supposed to squirt adrenaline into your bloodstream um, right away at certain instances, such as if you get startled or scared right away, then all of a sudden, like in seconds, you're feeling your heart pounding. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the fight or flight syndrome. Um, and that's just one of the functions that it has. But then also that. So if someone's not getting enough sleep um, or they're overstressed or something like that, then um, that lightheadedness may occur more frequently. So, um, but, uh, again, it could also be blood pressure related. So if it happens very frequently in that particular individual, I would be checking, uh, tracking his heart rate, blood pressure, um, you know, throughout the day before and after, you know, um, sexual encounter to see what's going on. Um, and then possibly refer to a doctor. For- okay. Yeah. When he, um, when he asked the question, you know, he kind of got poked fun of, you know, like, Oh, how terrible for you. Your, your orgasms are amazing. We feel, we feel so bad for you. But then whenever he went, he went more into detail about, you know, potentially passing out, then I thought, yeah, this is probably worth asking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, unless you're just holding his breath, you know, while it's so intense, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and I think, you know, it may be, maybe due to like adrenaline, you know, kind of like you're saying, but I know that like I can be going, doing my thing, no problem. And then as soon as I orgasm, I'm out of breath. I wasn't out of breath 
four seconds ago, but like, that's when my heart starts going and I, and, and everything catches up and it's like, Oh crap. You know, I was, I was getting it. Is that, is that adrenaline <laughs> or is that just because I'm distracted beforehand? Um, I don't know. Cause that's, the, um, so kind of like exercise when you're, you know, say you're taking an all out sprint, you're running as hard as you can. Well, you're not necessarily out of breath at that moment. Um, but it's after when you stop, then all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, I'm out of breath. I'm huffing, huffing. So there's kind of a lag period in the oxygen, um, deprivation. So as your oxygen starts to get low, carbon dioxide building up, um, you know, unless you actually were to go to the point, you know, being so intense that now you feel it and you really have to back off just as you're an all out sprint and to the point now your legs are burning, you're completely out of breath, your heart's pounding out of your chest. Um, so it may be during that time period because literally that those few moments right before you climax is when it's most intense. You know, the whole body kinds of tense, gets tense, you know, get preparing for that mm-hmm. the moment. And, um, you know, you can be a little bit out of breath and then all of a sudden that moment ha- happens. Now it's over. Now it's time to catch your breath. So yeah, sometimes in the, the heat of the moment, you may not realize uh, how out of breath you might be until you stop. Yeah, that and it's that uh, kind of like that lag period. Now everything's catching up. All that lactic acid has to get cleared out um, and so forth. So you may not necessarily feel like a lactic acid burn like you're working out, but there is lactic acid that is building up in the muscle tissue. Yeah. Okay. And is the, uh, the orgasm thing probably not related to the vasectomy? Um, I don't think directly related to the vasectomy. Um, but you know, it, it's always possible. Maybe it has something to do with, um, nerves, you know, look that might have been, uh, possibly released from the procedure. So now it might be more sensitive, um, or be able to gain an erection more intensely or to be just PRT related. I don't know. You know, it, it's still a little vague cause it's, it's just, that's kind of like a symptom. Yeah. It's not very, very much detailed information. Um, you know, and it's not like we're having an examination or any further investigative questions. Right. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, otherwise, um, I wouldn't be too concerned or worried about it unless, you know, you were just so out of breath that you were going to tap out. Like, last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Wolf Parkinson's white syndrome. What is it? What causes it? And is TR- TRT safe if you have it? Um, I'm not, I understand that it is, um, uh, a condition of the heart. I believe it's more genetic. Um, and it's, uh, kind of like in a regular heartbeat, um, would TRT causing it? No. Um, that is, it's a kind of a malfunction in the heart rhythm. Um, but, uh, it's not, I'm not a cardiologist, so it's not a condition that I'm very versed on. Um, you know, I had classes in physiology on heart anatomy and all that. Um, but that was like 20 years ago, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but otherwise, um, you know, I would say I'm a little bit more keen on cholesterol and cardiovascular risk than I would with heart function itself. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, wouldn't be my specialty or field for that. Gotcha. So I got my blood results back. Testosterone's at 1265. Estradiol's 17. I've only been taking 100 milligrams per week um, injection. Doctor just upped me to 150 before I got my test results. 
My testosterone with 12, six, was 1265 on the 100 milligram dose. My question is, do I just stay at 100 since my testosterone level is so high already? Are there any negative effects I need to be aware of? I am weightlifting as well and don't, and it's really helped. I don't know helped what, but. Um, I would question why the increase in the dose if he's at 1200. Yeah. Um, if he wasn't having, you know, any other symptoms and if he felt great, then I don't see the point in increasing the dose. Yep. You know, if the doctor might be just going on numbers at the free system with a little bit on the low side um, and trying to increase that, um, it still wouldn't, to me, it wouldn't warrant an increase in dose of testosterone as long as the patient felt good. So it's more about symptom resolution. Um, the only time I would increase it is if that the person wasn't having um, any improvements in symptoms, which I did have one guy um, that uh, a police officer I got his testosterone level. I think it was around 400. Got him up to around 1100, almost 1200. Um, and most guys would feel, you know, almost like in their twenties again after that. Uh, but he has felt absolutely no different. Um, for almost a year, uh, every few months I was running different blood work, running full thyroid panel, adrenal function, uh, iron testing, you know, trying to, because he still felt tired all the time. Um, cortisol, like you name it, I ran it. And everything was always coming back normal. Couldn't figure it out. So I was like, okay, we'll just bump my grid dose a little bit more and see what happens. Checked in a couple months later, he felt like a whole new man. His testosterone levels were just over 1,400 at that time. So um, in some cases that some men do need more, um, I think that it might have to do with a loosely term that's used uh, not very often in the industry, but uh, I am familiar with it a couple years ago called testosterone resistance where similar the concept is similar to insulin resistance where your body has to produce more insulin to get the same effect on reducing your glucose levels. And um, so in some men may require higher testosterone levels to get uh, the testosterone into the cells to have cell transcription in order to have the desired results or effect um, to force it in there. Um, I don't see it too often, but I believe that I see it enough that um, you know some men just need that much more going above and beyond. Now, as far as blood work is concerned, I see no difference or changes in blood markers as far as health is concerned. In fact, I've even had some guys have better blood markers, even on cholesterol, with higher testosterone. Hmm. So, I mean, it's going to be very individual on the person, but I've seen guys with testosterone levels uh, 17, 1800 have perfectly normal hemoglobin and hematocrypt. So, you know, it's not dose related. It's not testosterone related. What I mostly see in all the research I'm doing on um, hematocrit and hemoglobin is that uh, it could be genetic, but then also it may also depend on the health of the individual overall health. So sometimes if they have systemic inflammation, um, elevated CRP level, um, homocysteine levels, uh, liver stress, um, different things or digestive issues that it may elevate. Uh, hemoglobin or hematocrit, so maybe an indirect effect. So, but again, the genetics do play a role in that as well. Do you remember the the dose that you had him on whenever he jumped up to above fourteen hundred? Uh, I don't. Um, honestly, I would have to look back. Um, but I did. I believe I had him on standard, like you know, up to two hundred milligrams a week, and I think it was just bumping it up to two twenty a week, something like that just very minor just to get an extra couple hundred points on the board for him. Yeah. And it's just like a light bulb went off. 
You know, all he needed was just a little bit more. Yeah. It made that much more of a difference. It, it's, it's wild to me, and I'm curious if there's any good research out there, um, you know, why one individual like this guy who's on 150 and at 1265, uh, and, and I can be on 300 and be at 600. So uh, I'm curious, like, why that varies so much, you know, because that question gets asked all the time. Hey, what's your dose and what's your number? Where do I need to be? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of variables in it, but really what it boils down to is going to be somewhat genetics, and that depends on how much enzymes your body produces. So esterase enzymes actually uh, cleave off the ester that's attached to the testosterone. So when you do an intramuscular injection, that generally, for the most part, is going to yield a higher level of testosterone quicker. It may not be sustained as high, but because you actually have some of those lipid enzymes in the muscle tissue that begin breaking down the testosterone. Um, so that's why a subcutaneous injection may sustain testosterone levels longer because if you're doing it underneath the skin or into the fat, those enzymes are not located there. So then it takes time to travel to the liver where most of that gets processed. The liver is going to have the most of the, the cleaving off of the, the ester, whether it's a tipinate, uh, an S8, or a propanate. Um, so most of that's going to take place, but if the intramuscular injection, um, it actually can begin right there. So, uh, some men may naturally produce a high amount of those enzymes that cleave off the ester. And in some cases, it may be even more specific to the type of ester. So I've had some guys that can actually feel better with one ester than another, even at the same exact dose. And sometimes it may yield a slightly different testosterone level to reflect it. So, um, you know, sometimes I do like for me, I encourage guys a lot to experiment with, you know, doing subcutaneous injections or intramuscular injections um, or sometimes doing uh, twice a week injections versus three or four times a week um, to experiment because everybody's different. It's so variable. I see it all the time. There's not one method that's for everybody. Everybody's different. You know, I just actually had a guy uh, today going over his blood work and he had recently switched from four times a week to twice a week and his testosterone levels did come out higher and he actually felt better, you know, so it was more convenient for him doing it just twice a week than it was four times a week. Yeah. And, um, he felt better from it and it reflected and showed on his blood work as a result. So, so um, everybody's different. Somebody with the, um, the enzymes that are cleaving off the ester is that, is that causing them to need more testosterone or is that causing their body to get to that testosterone and use it quicker? Yeah. So it's kind of the, the, the just rewording the question <laughs> is that if they make a lot of that particular enzyme, that means they're going to metabolize the testosterone much quicker than someone that produces less. So I do have a couple of guys that literally only take a hundred milligrams of testosterone a week and their levels are over 1200. And that means they're a slow metabolizer or a fast? They do not produce very much enzymes to break it down as fast. Gotcha. So they can take an injection and it'll last so much longer in their body because it's not breaking down very quickly. Yeah. In your case, you just for some reason produce a lot of those enzymes and your body metabolizer breaks it down very quickly to free up the testosterone and use it right away. So um, I, I have psoriasis, which is autoimmune. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that could have something to do with it? Completely unrelated because my body attacks anything that, that comes in contact with it, you know, whether that's an abrasion on my arm or 
medication? No, because that's uh, autoimmune is going to be more of a actual immune response dealing with white blood cells mostly, okay. macrophages. So um, while they do break down and digest certain things, in fact, white blood cells do have androgen receptors on them. So in some cases, uh, it's kind of rare, but in some cases, if someone's testosterone levels are very high um, or on TRT, they might see an elevation in white blood cells. And that may be what's related to what they call test flu, um, which is, I think is usually associated with underground labs. <laughs> Excuse me, but, um, but otherwise, sometimes it may be a result is that their body is having an autoimmune reaction because they're, uh, maybe it might be new, you know, that their body's not used to it. And so they have an increase in uh, white blood cell production as a result. But in your case, an autoimmune is that your body is just overreacting. So you have a large histamine response well, it's probably white blood cell response to a non-harmful substance. And that's the body's reaction. Gotcha. Um, so, but that would not be related to testosterone itself. So it's completely different thing. Do you think it's possible to, uh, to test for or to develop a test for uh, an ester that might work better for an individual based on those enzymes? Um, I don't think... Uh, I mean, there might be a genetic test for it, but as far as um, a way to actually test um, uh, as far as something in a blood work to determine what ester may be better for someone, I don't think so. Um, but I do encourage guys to experiment, you know, try cyphonate or anesthate and see what, because I literally have had guys, you know, and even close friends swear that they feel better on one versus another. Um, and sometimes blood results actually show it where they can be higher testosterone levels on one versus another. Like I have a friend even tells me that he, uh, with testosterone and nesate, he doesn't have water retention, but stipinate causes him water retention. So I haven't seen blood work on that, but on the anesthate though, uh, his testosterone levels are like almost 1500. So I mean, you know, it works well for him as far as his blood work yeah. and he feels good on it. So, you know, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, uh, I do find as far as propanate, propanate is one of the fastest, acting esters it's the worst um yeah and it uh, requires very frequent injections and i have had a couple of guys experiment because they want to do daily injections and they think that that might be better but in blood test results because it metabolizes so quickly already that uh testosterone levels tend to be lower because it metabolizes so quickly yeah even the weekly dosage may be equivalent to what they were doing before it just doesn't last as long so again it's kind of like you know in your case if you're to do 200 milligrams of testosterone, your testosterone level is going to be like you know, four, three, 400 yeah. versus somebody else might be like 1500 because you just didn't break it down so fast. So. <laughs> that, uh, that P it, I hate that stuff. It, it makes me have these like super deep muscle, almost bone aches every time I use mm. it. Yeah. So that ester is definitely not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but it is known to uh, be more painful. Yeah. So it's kind of notorious for that. I couldn't tell you explain why it just has something. I I think that we need more research in this field. You know, like we've been going, going strong for the last 10 or 15 years, the stigma is starting to drop. We need to get deeper into some of these questions, you know, like the enzymes and cleaving off the ester and, and genetic, like what, what would be best for an individual. And I guess there's no, there's no real like life or death ramifications on, you know, behind it. So it's Mm -hmm. probably not worth putting the money into, but it's frustrating that there's just not, not, you know, if this were cancer, we'd be diving so deep into it 
We know. Well, yeah. Well, definitely because there's money to be made in cancer. Yeah. Um, with drugs, um, research, stuff like that, because there's so many organizations that support cancer research. So the funding for it is there, but testosterone, it was invented in the 1930s and 40s. So it's been around so long and it's so old that there is no new research. Yeah. You know, I think some of the newest research is really done in the early 2000s. Um, so it's, uh, it's been around so long that there's just no money in it for drug companies to bother spending money because they're not going to get a return on it. They can't patent it because every drug company makes it. They're generic, you know, all over the place. Yeah. So um, it's just not worth the money and time to do that. Now, universities that may be, um, you know, uh, funded separately, um, but again, it's going to be limited studies. They're going to have probably a dozen guys for those type of studies because of the cost to do yeah. them, you know, the people working in the study, you have, they have to get paid somehow for their time and effort. And then there's usually some compensation for participants in the study to want to participate in it. Yeah. So, um, it's, there, there's, it, it's just something that's not really going to happen. Um, now, I've allowed a couple, no I've allowed a couple of, of, um, studies to be done within the TRT community, uh, from research students, and yeah, you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. You know, they provide some sort of Amazon gift card, some compensation. Um, but even those studies have always, I think there's been three of them and they've just been surface level. They're wanting to know what the mindset or psyche is of a, of a male before and after they do TRT, like they're, they're surface level things. You know, I've, I've never seen anybody that's, that's going as deep into, you know, we've got food allergy testing. I've never seen anyone go deep into testosterone ester allergy testing. Um, yeah, again, well, you know, you only have three choices mostly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there is Nubido, which is, uh, the undecanate, I believe, or decanate, uh, ester, the longest acting one. Um, so I don't think per se that someone would have an allergy to an ester, more probably the carrier oil. But again, based on someone's genetics, that they may do better with one versus another because of how their body handles or metabolizes that particular ester. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm not black and white like some clinics or some other people are in the industry um, because there's so many variables. You know, um, I've known guys that needed to take two to three milligrams of an all a week just to control their estrogen because they just have so much producer, which is extremely rare. Yeah. Um, and all their other health markers are, are great. You know, they're super healthy, you know, based on paper. Um, there, I've seen some other clinics or individuals that are highly against the use of AIs, um, which I don't believe in. I don't promote the use of them, but in some cases when someone does need it, um, you know, there is some research suggesting that there is a threshold to the amount of aromatase activity. So that you may eventually be able to push your testosterone levels up to a certain level that it supersedes the estrogen conversion so much that now you long, no longer have symptoms or side effects of high estrogen. But then again, what's the long-term ramifications of pushing up testosterone levels that it takes to achieve that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could be having testosterone levels of two, three, four thousand just to have a certain ratio of the estrogen because some people are going to aromatize a lot of it. Um, and so, you know, I do believe that some people do really need it to reduce the symptoms or issues that they're having to have 
I would consider normal or safe, long-lasting treatment for estrogen. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard the the ceiling, the, the estradiol ceiling. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I just learned that recently, actually. Oh yeah, even you are still yeah. learning things. <laughs> I I study every day. Yeah, to be honest with you. Um, I'm researching and learning every day. Uh, literally, when I drive, I don't even listen to music. I'm listening to podcasts on hormones, health, anti-aging, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. So I literally am trying to keep up to date with every anything and everything that's new. Because at my age, I'm 44, and I want to try to live forever just like anybody else. <laughs> I'm not going to. But, you know, it's not so much the extension of life, but the quality of life. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be set, like 70, 80 years old you know, in a wheelchair in a nursing home, you know, I want to still be able to take care of myself and be very active. And I've met some individuals in the gym, you know, that uh, very interesting older gentlemen that shockingly uh, look so young for their age and that are just so alert, so vibrant and just really there and actually sometimes look like in great shape for their age. You know, um, I met a guy just a few weeks ago that uh, was in his 70s. I thought he was in his 50s. Wow. So, um, because it was so sharp and he actually looked great, you know, in really good shape. Um, but he was just always physically active. Yeah. You know, he always, he always exercised his wife bikes like six miles a day, hmm. you know, so they're, they're, as a couple, they were very active. Don't slow down. Um, he even still owned a business, you know, and his family was on him. You should, you should sell the business to relax. He goes, <laughs> I don't want to relax. <laughs> you know, I, I love what I do. Yeah. So, um, and I'm kind of the same way, but I want to, you know, have the the best quality of life that I can while I'm here on this planet. Yeah. And while I'm at it, I might as well leave a pretty damn good looking corpse. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a perfect segue into the next question. Uh, 45 years old, started lifting um, after a five-year break, getting throbbing pain in my bicep after any upper body movement. Um, what's, mm. it, what's it sound like is happening? And is there any way I, anything I do to minimize this? Um, so yeah, you can develop, uh, like any type of inflammation, you know, like tennis elbows, just inflammation of the tendon around the elbow area, usually attached to the tricep. Um, so I would say, you know, get massage therapy, see if that helps reduce inflammation, push it all out. Uh, but then also if that doesn't help, um, then see a, a sports doctor, you know, possibly orthopedic because it's possible he can have a minor bicep tear and not be aware of it. Um, that actually happened to me um, a couple years ago, uh, probably two, almost three years ago, that I had uh, pain in the bicep, couldn't figure it out. I didn't have weakness in the bicep, but I had pain uh, during um, most uh, upper body exercises. And it would actually affect my shoulder because of where the bicep attaches up into the shoulder. So I thought I was mostly having radiating pain from the shoulder itself. It turned out it was in the bicep. So I actually uh, had a minor bicep tear, not realizing that I did, um, because it wasn't like I was exercising and felt something right then and there that happened. Yeah. It's just something that probably was progressive over time and just, you know, working out, working out, working out. You start slowly tearing away the muscle. Hmm. So, um, But since then, I'm uh, with uh, being uh, different types of therapy and, and all that, that I've been able to pretty much... Uh, have it all healed since then. And of course, using peptides like VPC help out quite a bit. So, yeah. Um, you know, so I can tell you that uh, that one was actually my question. So it should have said 39 years old, started working out again. Um, and it's it's a deep ache. It's only in one bicep. 
And it started after I arm wrestled all four of my kids at one time. So Ooh. yeah, so, <laughs> and this was, this was two years ago, but, um, yeah. yeah. And that was the first time that I had, I mean, it, it's pretty bad, you know, whenever it gets to throbbing, it's persistent and it lasts a long time, you know, a week. And, uh, yeah, I would say see a good sports massage therapist, at least to start off with, because if anything, you're going to have pretty good massage out of it. Yeah. Um, so it can be very relaxing and they may be able to, to find other places that can be troublesome that may also, um, you know, be related. Um, so the, the nervous system is really weird and real tricky because you can feel pain in a certain area, but the point of it may actually be somewhere else. And it's just radiating to another area. Um, which I found out from having my massage therapist because I could feel, you know, like at the time I was feeling a lot of pain in the front of the, the deltoid as well as, you know, in the bicep area. But also, ironically, when he hit the back of my shoulder in the rear delt, there was a spot there that was some kind of trigger point that literally felt like a rod coming out the front of my front of my my uh, my shoulder, my delt. Oh wow! So he hit it, and then the pain literally rated it like it just felt like I was a, a rod coming right out. It was like so painful; mm. it was just shooting all the right right through. And he said, well, this is one of the areas that's actually in the back, but you feel it in the front. Because <laughs> I didn't really feel the pain in the back, but just shooting all the way in the front. Yeah. So it was pretty wild. I know there's a lot of that with like uh, neck and shoulders and, you know, a lot of misplaced pain, I guess. You know, it's a shoulder pain, but it's coming from your neck, that kind of thing. Yeah, that happens too. So yeah. again, the nervous system is real tricky. So uh, again, I would see some, you know, someone that's a professional in some type of field that's related to that. And they may be able to kind of narrow it down. Yeah. Um, creatine. My 13-year-old son is playing football. He's in eighth grade. He's lifting weights every day. He asked me the other day if he could take creatine. I took creatine when I was in high school. Um, since then, haven't really touched it or looked at it or researched it. Is that something, one, that's beneficial, and two, that a 13-year-old can take? Yeah, creatine is found naturally in red meat, the highest source. Your body produces it anyway. It's a tripeptide, so it's actually a combination of three amino acids. Um, it's just that your muscle tissue can actually store some excess as a reserve. Jimmy, and um, actually, um, so creatine donates a phosphate molecule to ADP to turn it back into ATP. So ATP is more of like your um, single cell packet of energy. And your body only holds about, what, 30 seconds of it, and then it has to make more. Because it's just like, um, you know, um, like firecrackers, you know, that's already lit, only lasts so long, and then boom, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's completely, it is the most researched sports supplement in history, still is to this day. And it's always been shown to be very, very safe. Uh, just plain creatine monohydrates, the original one. They've tried coming up with and reinventing the wheel with it. No other creatine is proven in multiple studies to be uh, more effective than regular creatine on hydrate. Um, so there's other forms of creatine that were designed to increase solubility. So creatine monohydrate is kind of like, it, technically it's a salt version of the amino acid. So it may not be very soluble in a fluid or water. And that lack of solubility may cause some digestive upset in some people that may be sensitive to it. So in that case, other forms of creatine, like creatine hydrochloride or HCL, is more water-soluble and maybe better for that person 
um, just based on their digestion. Okay. But less effect than monohydrate or same effect? To me, creatine is creatine, so it really doesn't matter. Okay. It's just that a lot of times those other versions of creatine cost a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's any necessarily more expensive to produce them. Um, it's just more a, a solubility thing. So, yeah. but they just tend to, uh, you know, advertise being better than regular creatine monohydrate. And there's not a single study that proves it otherwise. Okay. So the last two questions were mine. This one uh, is not mine. Just going on record there. Um, <laughs> this gentleman's wife was prescribed a vaginal estrogen cream. Is this dangerous for men? Similar to the way that testosterone cream could be dangerous for women. Um, well, I probably would not be having intercourse with her right after she applies it. That's actually what he <laughs> asked is if he gets it on his penis, is it, is it bad for him? Yeah. His penis is going to invert and turn to a vagina. But no, uh, in seriousness, he, he can potentially absorb it um, through the skin because obviously testosterone cream typically has a scrotal application because the skin around the genitalia area is very thin on men, mostly because um, give it more air, more room to breathe. So it is known that heat, such as wearing tidy whities can actually decrease sperm count. Yeah. So, um, so the skin is more thinner to disperse heat from the groin area. Um, so I would recommend, and I typically recommend most people apply their uh, topical creams in the morning because then by the time the evening comes around, if they're getting in the mood for intimacy with their partner, then they really don't have to worry about transference by then. Yeah. So similar, same thing with the woman. Yeah. So, but with her, as far as a, a, a vaginal cream, that's going to be because it's used to build up her vaginal lining and wall and help with um, um, vaginal dryness in her case. So uh, her benefit is going to be for that, but she probably won't need to use it uh, like not for the rest of her life. So this is built up the vaginal lining and so forth. And there's going to be better absorption that way. But then once things, everything's back to normal, then she can probably go to a regular topical application. Cool. That's all I got. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, anything else off topic? Uh, I don't think the, no. No, I don't think so. What about you? Um, no, nah, not really. Just like I said, the, um, you know, I think it kind of said some of the off-topic things that were still related to what we're talking about. Yeah. Everything is just about testosterone and hormones balancing stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just the the longer working with matrix learning, um, and how different people are. Um, you know, if someone, I would give the advice that if someone is being treated, uh, by a doctor or another clinic, and if they're, if they're if they feel like they're not being listened to and treatment changing to accommodate their symptoms or doing more further testing to find out what the root causes of their symptoms, then, please go somewhere else to find someone that actually cares enough. Um, Because I do get it quite often that people like, I actually had a woman today, um, a little less topic, but you know, she uh, had great results with a, with a a doctor she had been seeing for several years for hormone treatment. Um, He moved, went to somewhere else. And so she had a new uh, doctor in OBGYN. She was on testosterone, progesterone and estrogen. OGBYN says, you don't need estrogen at your age. She's like, why? I feel great. She says, you don't need it. Um, didn't give her any reason why. 
<laughs> so, but when she came off the estrogen, her estrogen plummeted. It was almost hardly even measurable, and she felt awful. And still the doctor would not prescribe her estrogen, saying she doesn't need it just because she's over the age of 40. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, again, that, but that's why she came to Matrix, because then she just, uh, you know, wasn't having any improvement in symptoms, was feeling worse, wasn't getting anywhere with her doctor. And her doctor could not give a valid explanation as to why she did not need estrogen at her age. And I said, well, you're a woman. You do need estrogen. Um, you may not need as much, but you still need it. And especially for your mental health and, and how you feel. So, um, so I got her back on estrogen and she, she's bound to feel a lot better soon because otherwise she just, you know, couldn't sleep. Um, very fatigued, no energy. Oh, but then this one was a kicker. Her testosterone levels were over 500. Wow. <laughs> um, Dr. Harris, so much testosterone. I say that could be causing some issues too, because I have had some guys when they increase their testosterone dosage, they actually feel worse. Yeah. You know, they feel more fatigued instead of better thinking, Oh, I'm going to feel even better with higher. Do I feel great at thousand? I feel great at 1200, 1500. And sometimes the exact opposite happens. Yeah. Um, so, and I got plenty of guys that, you know, feel better at seven, 800. So very individual. Um, and I, I wonder, I said, yeah, at that level, you continue going you might start getting a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. And I'm sure you don't want it to happen. She goes, Oh no. So yeah. I told her, I said, well, let's come back on the testosterone because it doesn't need to be that hot. And I think that's a good point. I've, I've seen a, a lot of doctors will fall into three different buckets and they'll either be kind of like hers where they're not listening. They're just doing whatever they want. They don't care so much what the patient says. Uh, and then there's the doctor yeah. that, is kind of the opposite of that. They're super cool, laid back. They listen to you, but they're not incredibly knowledgeable. And they're just, it's more of like a, yeah, what do you want to try? You want to give that a shot? Let, we'll, we'll do that. And I've treated with those doctors. And then you have doctors, <laughs> you have practitioners like you guys, where it's like, you'll listen, you're laid back, but you have the ideas. You're not, I'm not dependent, dependent on to come up with what I want my protocol to be. Y'all are the knowledgeable mm -hmm. ones. You're the ones that dive deep. And I, I feel like a broken record when I'm saying that to guys. It's like you won't find anyone more attentive. You won't find anyone more knowledgeable. They really, truly care, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and I, I tell the whole team all the time, you know, because um, sometimes it might be impressive to come up with some new information that they find and they share with me, and I'm like, that's great. Um, but it always is going to boil down to people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's the most important thing is listening to them. Let people tell their story, even if it goes over their scheduled time. Hear them out. You know, um, sometimes we do have to set limits, you know, if it's going like, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes over the scheduled time. Yeah. We do have other patients that tend to. Um, but uh, otherwise, for the most part, um, we want to hear and listen because we are compassionate and we all love what we do. You know, I've been in the same shoes as a lot of other guys. Uh, I've had a lot of my own health problems growing up. Um, I had a lot of allergies and asthma and digestive issues that doctors, you know, either wouldn't listen, blew me off, or just, you know, didn't want to really help out. And I had to help myself. So that was my incentive in getting into uh, healthcare and learning so much about health and the human body. Um, so, you know, I, uh, that's why I'm so compassionate and care so much about helping other people. Because uh, originally I researched, studied, and learned all this for myself. But then if I didn't share everything that I have, I would be very selfish. Yeah. So it's my way of giving back to others 
because I took the time to find out all this information and I want to help as many people as I can out there. And with the team that we have currently, uh, I help train a lot of them. So um, I'm able to expand on helping other people by giving them the knowledge to share with other people as well and help more. Yeah. I like it. You do, you guys do great work over there and I appreciate you a ton. You're very welcome. And uh, we appreciate the, you know, you for what you do for the community because you also increase a lot of awareness um, and have helped out so many other men that, you know, did not have anywhere else to go that were just lost. In the system. Yeah. And uh, one thing I will say about the uh, health providers as well is that you, people have to remember you're, if you have insurance, your insurance is paying your doctor to treat you. So technically you're the boss, not the doctor. So if you don't feel you're getting the proper treatment and care from your doctor, fire them. Yeah. Go find somebody else that will treat you and get you the care you need because there is going to be another doctor, another provider out there that will find the answers for you and help you get better. Yep. Totally agree. All right, man. You have a good night. Thank you as always. You too. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the TRT community podcast. You can find us online at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TRT community. 